let's get going. This is Randy Palmer. This is the Family Strong Podcast. I am a trained interventionist. I work with families. Originally trained as an interventionist specifically for addiction recovery. And the more I got into working with families, the more I realized that we kept coming back to the same three or five uh, topics. Communication, support, uh, family secrets, and education on how to help people, what's what's actually happening. Excuse me. So today I want to get into what I call the myth of rock bottom. It's a phrase that we all hear. It's commonly accepted. And it's difficult to argue against it because of the principles that are correct that uh, underline it as something that has been known to help people over time when they get to a place within themselves where they say, that's it. It's enough. I'm, I'm finished. I'm going to change. If I could shed a little light on this situation, uh, please allow me to help you visualize, if you will, a chart. And then I'll get into how, to me, it doesn't seem to be the best way to look at it when it comes to actually helping somebody who's struggling with addiction or mental illness or health, whatever it might be. So imagine, if you will, a chart. And on the left side of the chart is time. Uh, On the bottom of the chart is resistance. Okay, the more resistant someone is to change the more time it takes until they eventually become willing or open. So the idea of rock bottom is that everybody basically, and I'm overgeneralizing here, but the people that I've talked to that have said the commonly thrown around cliche, well, there's nothing I can do until they hit rock bottom. Well, we'll get into that more in a minute, But the principle behind that phrase, there's nothing I can do, pretty much means we're all going to withdraw and we're going to wait. We're going to wait until the sickest person in the family makes a decision to do something about this because the things we've done in the past haven't worked or they haven't been open to them, whatever it may be. Based on that idea, the concept is that as someone is resistant and they go through time that eventually they get to a point with time where that chart, that graph makes an immediate an immediate change, a drastic change to zero resistance. Right? If 10 is complete resistance, I'm not accepting help, don't talk to me about it, and zero is I'm done. I'll do anything you want me to. I just want to get better. I just want to fix this. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. The concept there is that there's nothing we can do except to let time run its course and then eventually the natural consequences will cause them to hit a drastic change in the chart. Well, I like to change this concept and look at it differently. Although we'll still build upon some of the same principles Uh, you know, the prodigal son. Uh, Clearly, there's value in letting somebody experience the natural consequences of their choices. But what do you do when it's something that nobody understands yet? You can say whatever you want about the, the 
greatest minds in the world and all the literature on addiction. And look, nobody understands it all. There's still so much to learn on a spiritual level, on a nutritional level, on an environmental level, right? We could go on and on and on. And this is why I believe that the family, the council process with the family is the most effective way to help someone because every scenario is so unique. Every family is so different and every individual needs a specific uh, experience and process to help that person change. But we do not have to wait. I'm often reminded of a, a family that I worked with where they said that they'd been waiting for rock bottom for years with a person. And we went in and we met with this family twice. And in a matter of a few days, this person was suddenly at their rock bottom. They said they were willing to get help. So it gets very complicated and complex when you have someone who's living around their family, who's being supported by their community and their loved ones. But when it comes to addressing some of their behavior, they delegate to this phrase, there's nothing I can do until they hit rock bottom. All right, let's move on to a new way of thinking about this. Think of an ocean tide. Think of the ebb and flow of the water. I can promise you someone who's in addiction or someone who's going through uh, mental illness or whatever it may be, they have moments every day, sometimes several times a day, where they are um, showing the principles behind rock bottom. They're more open to listen. They're more reflective. They're more motivated and willing to take advice. Think of that as high tide. When the water comes up, okay, the family is on the beach. The family is there showing a force of power, of unity, of safety. They've got a cooler full of water. They've got some snacks. They've got a canopy. They're, they're on the beach reaching out to this person, saying, hey, swim back. We're here for you. We want to help you. We have a life vest. We have towels. We have a change of clothes. We're your friends, and we love you, and we're here to help you. As this person goes through these ebbs and flows, at moments when the high tide carries them up, whatever that might be, a breakup, a disappointment, a a bad batch of drugs, whatever it may be, when we take the attention off of their using just for a minute, can we stop making everything about this process if they're using or not? Can we look more about the process aspects and the principles behind recovery and less about the outcome and stop scaling everything we do on if they're using, then they're succeeding, if they're not, then they're failing? We need to start to look at this more of an ever-changing, evolving process. We need to train ourselves to see the, the differences between high tide and low tide. 
When they're at low tide, man, they're closed off. They are not interested in your feedback. They don't want to hear about God. They don't want to talk to you about all the things they need to change and all the things they've screwed up, about the money you owe them, about the drugs they're using. None of it. So when I work with families, when I work with individuals, that's why each and every person has a single biggest goal. It's about self-care. It's about taking care of yourself. Just like in an airplane, when the airplane goes down, you put your mask on first. When I worked in the oil fields of North Dakota, dealing with H2S gas, which was deadly, and you see somebody that's gone down, you never run in there to help them because then you see two people have gone down and three people. So it's important that you can begin to shift your understanding about what it means to actually influence them. One of my favorite quotes is, if your addicted loved one is still affecting you, you are still affecting them. So this observation and this prudence to noticing their body language, their, their energy, their words. At times of low tide, they're closed off. They're denying, avoiding, and refusing to take responsibility for anything. Leave them alone. But we don't need to leave them alone for 12 years because next Tuesday, they might be at high tide. They might come and say, hey, here's that 20 bucks I owe you. You know, I really miss grandpa. How are things? Take advantage of those moments. A couple ways you can do that is with family stories. Go back through your family history and find some examples of people who have encountered challenges and overcame them. Let them know that in their DNA, they have power and they have a history of resiliency. Share these stories with them. Work on yourself. Use I statements in these times. Let them know that you've had a breakthrough, that you've been working on your weight or your health or your communication with your spouse. And let them know what you've been learning. Share with them personal experiences. Discuss true principles of what recovery looks like. What are some of the 12 steps? I mean, just look for ways to intermingle these, these stories and these principles into this conversation. And then let it be enough for the moment. Let them know they're loved. Let them know that when they're ready for the right kind of help, real help, that you guys are there for them. But in the meantime, you understand. You understand they have their choice and you still love them despite them choosing different than you do. The danger with rock bottom is it's, it's too passive. It's a victimized mindset. To me, the term, there's nothing I can do until they hit rock bottom, uh, in a scenario where someone has completely withdrawn, what they're really saying is, I'm not emotionally stable or emotionally, emotionally prepared enough anymore to be any closer to this person. I can't be let down anymore by their choices. I can't manage my desire to control every aspect of their life. I can't question anymore what is the true meaning of life. Is there a life after this? Is there eternity? 
What happens if something happens to them? What is the purpose of all this suffering, this miscommunication? I raised them better than this. You know, my neighbor told me there's nothing I can do. Yeah, yeah, I like that. There's nothing I can do until they're ready. Giving themselves permission to withdraw and to check out emotionally from this relationship. If you can share with your family the principle of high tide, low tide, when someone is at high tide, the same principles apply as when they're at rock bottom. They're open to feedback. They accept their behavior as not acceptable. They express themselves, their thoughts and feelings and beliefs. So learn to see the difference on a moment-by-moment basis. Learn to back off when they're in low tide. Because when somebody is in low tide, when they're not open to your feedback, when they're not receptive, you're not doing any good by preaching to them. You're not doing any good by trying to control the outcome of their choices. You're not doing any good to work behind the scenes to protect them, to call into work for them, to basically jump in the water and swim out there and try to stay afloat as they're kicking and screaming and dragging you down. Work with the family around them. Develop some sort of a family mission statement or a success story that you can share with them. Share it with everyone. Let everyone learn the principle of high tide, low tide of consistent, appropriate engagement over time. I can promise you, I can remember mid-August 2004, I'm working on my old truck, I'm in the middle of my addiction. I can remember with very clear details conversations that I had with my dad when I got fired from my job. I'm out there working on this truck. Uh, A friend of mine His dad gave me the job. My dad and him were friends. When he found out I got fired, he was disgusted. And he looked at me and he said, why are you so lazy? Do we think that just because someone's going through an addiction that they're numb to everything? Do we think that they don't have eyes to see or ears to hear anything? I think it's the opposite. I think they're so in tune with the pain, and some of the things going on within the family that they process it on even a deeper level. I think in their heart they still have desires to change and great hopes of the future, and they spend some of their time setting goals with their friends about how are they going to get out of this mess. A lot of times, going back to this chart, the reason they're resistant is because they know they know deep down in their heart that they, they messed up. They've gotten in pretty deep. 
And because of their dignity, because of their self-respect and their best effort to be a real man or to pull their own weight, they refuse the help. They don't share with others what they're struggling with or ask for support. In a form of self-suffering and, and sacrifice, they feel like they have to figure it out on their own because they got themselves in that situation. They got to get themselves out. Well, we know that that's not true. We know that it takes a community. We know that it takes a tribe. We know that it takes a family. So, the next time you hear the phrase, rock bottom, I want you to consider what that actually means. Go ahead and ask some people that you know that have been through addiction or been through a serious mental illness and ask them if rock bottom exists. Get some different feedback. Ask them, were there ever times you wanted to change? This doesn't mean that just because you begin to implement these principles that right away they're going to quit using and that everything's going to be perfect. But what it means is you can begin to establish a pattern of safe communication, of understanding better the, what's actually going on with them and connecting with them instead of complete with, completely withdrawing from them and saying there's nothing I can do carrying that bitterness in your heart towards them, venting to other people in the family about them and their choices. It's a great source of drama within the family. Or on the opposite end, jumping in the water and swimming out there, which is not sustainable, attaching your emotions to their choices every step of the way, thinking that you're going to become the safety net that's going to catch them in rock bottom, that you're going to stop them from going lower than rock bottom. It's not possible. And if you're trying to decide where these lines are, how do I know when to get my feet wet? How do I know when to stand on the beach and ask others in the family to, to show this force of strength and support? And when do I know as a parent, when is God speaking to me? When are my instincts more than just feelings or thoughts? And when should I take massive action? Or when should I do something that needs to happen? In other words, what is enabling and what is supporting? I get it. These internal instincts as parents, they're deep as, as loved ones. Right, the term enabling, to me, those are Christ-like attributes. Loving, caring for, protecting, sacrificing on their behalf. Have others in the family told you that you're enabling them? Have others said that you should detach emotionally from their choices? Have you spent sleepless nights up wondering where they are and what they're doing, making yourself physically sick? Does it seem like no one else in the family cares? Are you trying to get your husband to actually do something and step up and be a leader 
mothers play a very specific role in never giving up on these kids. The key is to learn how to take care of yourself through the process. How to manage the space around you on the beach, bettering your own life, knowing that that's really the only thing you can control, but always observing, always engaging, always inviting others in the community and the family to engage in well, as well with messages of hope and forgiveness and understand, understanding. Seeing the big picture that they still may be using, but hey, at least they're communicating. Having these discussions with your other family members is where you will find the answers to what is enabling and what is not. It's not just you. The, deci the decisions you make don't just affect you. They affect everyone in your family. So if you don't know if you should give them a car or a phone or let them live with you, invite your spouse, invite your children, your grandchildren to an open discussion. Hey, I feel like we need to do something, but I don't know how to trust myself anymore. And the way I've been acting, it's not sustainable. I, I can't support them if I can't even manage my own life. Listen to the feedback from the other people in the family. Together, in a unified effort, build consensus on what to be, is to be done in making these crucial decisions. And then support each other through that process, whatever it is. If the family decides, no, you shouldn't let them live with you. And you have the courage to follow through with their advice. And those nights where you don't know where they are and you don't know if they're safe, you then turn to the family who together as a board of directors built this consensus, who is then responsible for supporting each other while the change takes place. High tide, low tide. This is a much better way to think about it. They need you to take care of yourself. They need you to hope and believe and they're still watching. They're watching for watching you. They're learning from you. They're still deeply in love with you. They're just a little lost. Find strength in your family. Reach consensus and follow through. United. Learn to recognize the tides learn to engage, learn to withdraw.